happy Monday and welcome to the Great Escape Minute, the daily podcast where we dig into the Great Escape one minute at a time. I'm Tom. And I'm Rob. And joining us today from the Dirty Harry Minute is John. Say hello, John. Hello, everyone. This is John. How are you guys? Oh, doing great. Doing great. great. Glad to have you on the show. It's a pleasure. It's a good, good childhood favorite movie of mine, this Red Escape. So, pleasure to... Thanks for coming. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, well, the week is still early. You might not be thanking us come Friday. (laughs) (laughs) Minute 11 starts with Von Luger listing the amenities of... Stalling Luf 3 and ends with Werner asking Henley, why fight for England, your dot, dot, dot. <laughs> so this wraps up, you know, get the end of Von Luger and Ramsey's conversation today of what Von Luger is hoping. You know, I don't think he actually thinks this is what's going to happen, but he's, you know, he has the outside hope of maybe these guys will realize, let's just all sit back here. None of us have to go do a thing, and you guys can just relax and face, you know, he's pitching it like a, you guys can hang out at summer camp for the rest of the war, and I can sit around and be the camp counselor. Obviously, I don't, you know, that's not what happens. I just get the impression it's just, I'm full of this stuff. I just want to sit here. This is my retirement post. I don't want to have to do that much work. I want you to help me along in that goal. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you do get that impression. I mean, we, we've discussed this in the past and, you know, last week, how Van Luger, you can see from the pictures on his wall, you can see from, from all of his, you know, ribbons on his uniform, that, that he's, he's a long career officer in the, the Luftwaffe He's he's not necessarily a follower of of, of the the Nazis, but he's he's still a strong high level officer and and wants to do his youth with everything. So as far as he's concerned, this is a quiet way for him to to to, to spend the war. He doesn't need to you know to go fight on the front. He's not being sent to to be in charge of any concentration camps or whatever. He's he's given something I guess you could say relatively easy a relatively easy desk job where he just has to babysit for, for the camp, as, as you said, to make a summer camp. I, I just find it funny to tell them that they can do gardening, you know, and later on we, we see them, we see them gardening in, in sand. That's what they have. <laughs> That's about the only thing we do see that the, of the amenities he's described, he said, you know, sports, a library, recreation, and for gardening, we will give you tools. But we only, we don't see any of those except for the the brief shot of the um, the rake. I think good gardening, yeah. as you say, the dirt. Yeah, we have that, but the, the, we also see them, you know, marching, uh, you know, on the parade grounds, and we see them. Um, uh, you know, it doesn't set, it doesn't seem based on the things that they that they give them to do. It doesn't seem as if they're they're in a POW camp. It seems more like they are in a summer camp. With the, I mean, obviously. It has a lot to do with the fact that the, that they are, you know, they, they wanted to make the the Germans believe that they're they're actually having fun, you know, and and not spending the rest of their time digging or anything. Like that, but it's just, you know, it, it's just funny that the, the the way that he says it. I'll let you do sports and and mm. and and you can do gardening as long as you use the tools for the right things. I mean, come on, what the hell is wrong with him? He really thinks that that's what's going to happen. You know, here we're going to give you, we'll give you spades, we'll give you rake, we'll give you these things, and. You, what you do with those things is you you move around dirt, not necessarily just on on externally. So well, Rep, you might do, do we, things like this internally. Do we see any 
because I'm thinking about it, and, and well, obviously we'll get there eventually, but they don't really get any spades or heavy-duty shovels. They get some rakes and, you know, some hoes. They don't really seem to give them anything to do some serious digging. Which That's for is, the Russians. Right. right. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a few days. <laughs> Now, but, now, gentlemen, uh, no. in real life, uh, I believe from the book anyway, that the, that gentleman's agreement was followed. They did actually never use any gardening tools or they never reclaimed any gardening tools given to them for use in the tunnels. So I think that's something they did actually honour. But, you know, yeah. that, and everything else was up for grabs, you know, stealing wooden beams and um, brackets from the roof and stuff, but they never actually used the gardening tools apparently. Right. I mean, they, 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 the book does describe a lot of times that they that, that they stole things and that the Germans mm. were... were 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 quite uh, embarrassed about the fact that things got stolen, so most of the times they didn't even report it. I mean, that's how they. Uh, and we're going to talk about this in, in probably a few months from now. But the the whole lighting system within the tunnel itself, you know, the the wires came from one day that the Germans sent they brought an electrician to go take care of something, and when the electrician had his back turned, some stole all the coils from him, and he was just too embarrassed to actually tell anyone that that's what really happened. And so so yeah, but that you're right about the gardening tools, but. But as we've said, I guess you're somewhat limited in what you can do with these tools, even though, I mean, in the real camp, they, they, they were very efficient in making their own tools. They, they describe it in, in very grim detail, you know, how they, they, they made all of the different uh, tools that they used in order to, to, to dig out things and create everything. I mean, even even the, the forgers, you know, needed real tools for them to, to create and obviously manufacture, which we'll talk about, Cedric, you know, not today, but uh, <laughs> we'll get to that. I, I love also the way that in the middle of this, this conversation, he just gives him a cigarette. He doesn't even ask if he wants one. It's like it's a known thing. It, that, it's the fault. <laughs> Everyone know, smokes. That's true. But it's, it's like it's not even, you know, there, there's no question about it. It's not do you smoke or do you want to smoke? It's. Here, just it doesn't even say here. It just gives it to him. And it's also and he, oh, go ahead. And he, he hesitates. He hesitates to take it. That's the thing. That's the great thing with Ramsey. You know, he's he's offered it, and he thinks for a second, "Am I doing the right thing here? You know, do I really want to take this? Maybe it's because he's trying to quit. I don't know." <laughs> and you'll notice that you know, it being 1943, the war obviously the end is in sight. It's quite a, a luxury item to have a you know already made packet of cigarettes. It's not tailor made or, or handmade. This is coming from a a German officer, and it's uh, quite a commodity. Right. Yeah, even he shouldn't hold it up. He should. <laughs> he should save it in order to use it later for uh, you know to trade for something. I have a real cigarette, something that was just not something from the Red Cross packages. Well, no. Here's what happens because later on, when Big X shows up, he says he scrounged the tea from Henley. We later mm. this week see Henley. No, Henley doesn't go. Up. No, 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 no. He scrounged. He says later that he scrounged it from, from Sedgwick. No, no. no. That, that's what he Sorry. used a cigarette for. Was tea. <laughs> Maybe you never know. Maybe he gave Sedgwick a real cigarette and said, "Here, give me some." There we go. That's it's why possible. he took a cigarette. That, that's great. I didn't even think about that connection. That's pretty good. <laughs> um, why don't we just uh, take a second here and and uh, John? Why don't you explain to people a little bit of your background with the with the movie, where you first saw it. Um, I mean, you've you've alluded to the fact that you've the book. Yeah, you know, just to give everyone a little bit of an idea of of your background with this. Right. Well, this is a great childhood favorite of mine. Um, while it's not on TV all the time, like it might be in Great Britain or other places, it certainly was on uh, you know uh, freeway TV quite a lot as a kid. I probably saw it first when I was ten or eleven, around the same time as Bridge Over the River Kwai, and a lot of war movies actually. 
uh, were on TV, and I've seen it many, many times. Um, we had a relative of Paul Brickhill, I can't remember the details, come and talk to us in, in early high school um, about... Wow. Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember the details of the talk, but I think it was like a cousin of, of Paul Brickhill who unfortunately died in the early 90s. But, um, yeah, so it's yeah, it's a great movie, and uh, I watch it, I'd say, you know, once every two or three years, and it's just a great action movie, you know, a war movie as well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and obviously it's got an ensemble cast that that uh, you know, it would be very hard for someone to make a movie like that uh, these days with with so many you know name name brand uh, actors, if, if especially if you're not doing an MCU film. <laughs> Which in the yeah, MCU film, cast. the only way they the only way they got everyone in the MCU film was because they gave everyone else their their own films in the first place. <laughs> right, but uh, yeah, so, definitely a great cast. Oh yeah. So once we finish up in Von Luger's office, we cut to the outside and we see Henley checking out the truck. Which at first I thought he's looking to see if there's keys in the truck and just going to drive mm. it out. Then I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute, he's a scrounger. He doesn't care if you know. I mean, he cares if there's keys in the truck, but he's just looking for anything that might be left behind in the truck, be it someone left a half pack of cigarettes, someone left their, you know, lunch, whatever else might in that truck. Oh, let me take a peek. Oh, that might be useful. And while we get this, we also get this. It's probably different, but to me it sounded very much like a slowed down version of that main theme we get as they're driving into the camp. I don't know if either of you heard that or noticed it being different enough that I'm way off. As we've mentioned from, um, in the research that I've done, I, I heard actually that, that Bernstein has sub-themes for every one of the characters. So this apparently is, is Henley's sub-theme, which makes a little more sense, which makes sense. At this point, the music cues, we know, as if there was ever any doubt, the music's going to be something special in this in this movie. You know, it's got uplifting moments, cheeky moments, sinister moments. And, um, yeah, the music in this, this music is really, really great. And apparently, yeah, <laughs> the royalties were very, very friendly to Elmer Bernstein over the rest of his life. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> I, can't, I don't believe oh, it. No, right. No, the thing that I, I found really interesting about this scene also is, is once again, when we, you know, we, we see all the characters as they're walking around and they're basically carrying everything they have on them. You know, we, we, we've, I, I love the fact uh, I've mentioned this before that, that uh, you know all of these are all, all these uh, characters are pilots and most of them have probably had to parachute out of their planes but they all still have their hats and most of them still have full uniforms <laughs> you know they they were able to keep something but what what Henley is walking around with he's carrying a jacket with him and that's all he carries with him I mean obviously we don't see what's in his pockets it's possible that he's you know got got little things in his pockets here and there and the fact that we know that he's a scrounger from having seen this movie before someone who's never seen the movie doesn't know who he is really except they know it's James Garner but it, it's it's interesting that he's got pretty much nothing because he he basically my assumption is that the character says to himself all right I'll be able to get whatever I need. So I might as well carry as little as possible, you know, be, uh, have as, as light a luggage as, as uh, possible. But the, this this truck that he, that he walks next to, did either of you notice what the truck is filled with? It's like blankets? Blankets or linen. Yep. It's completely filled with blankets and, and, uh, and linen and stuff like that. And his first reaction is he doesn't even go to take a blanket. You know, <laughs> he's like, all right, I'll get a blanket some other time. Let's first see what's in the cab. <laughs> You know, let's see, again, am I looking for the keys? Am I looking for, uh, I don't know, did someone for, forget a pack of cigarettes there? Did someone mm. forget uh, tools inside? 
whatever. I mean, the, the this whole conversation with him and Werner is very different in the original script. The original script uh, has three characters there at the same time. Besides Henley, you have Ashley Pitt and McDonald that are that are all there with him, and they actually steal tools from the truck before Werner comes along. So he's when when he shows up in the movie and says, "What are you doing?" And he says, "Stealing tools." Now we think, okay, he's just saying it cynically. You know, he's he's making a joke here. But in the real script, he actually did steal tools. <laughs> in in the script, basically, Werner starts checking all three of them, and as he's checking each one, they pass from one to the other the tools, so that he doesn't pay, doesn't see what it is. And at one point, they they say that he's even, when he's frisking one of them. I think it was Ashley, if I remember correctly. He actually starts to laugh because he tickles him and he starts saying stop ticking which which sounds really really strange you know when you're looking at the finished film you know that that, that just doesn't sound like i mean it makes sense that they cut it out it's not something that really would have worked <laughs> no but but it's interesting to know that that's what they did or well, that was a real idea and i've seen that skit done on different things i I know I've seen it in movies. Don't ask me which movie I've seen it in, but I feel like it's in a different type of movie. You get those more in the slapstick versions. Mm-hmm. You get the pat down, handoff stuff going on. You don't. I don't remember seeing it in a more serious type movie. And I'm sure someone on the internet will tell me how wrong I am. But yeah, but the question is whether in the 1960s, uh, you know, in 1963 when this was made, did they have to worry about that? You know, was that something that was happening in movies? Uh, maybe you... something that Mel Brooks later on, you know. Yeah. <laughs> what were you going to say, John? Did you guys notice there appears to be a, in a background character with white sort of sand shoes or white sport shoes? Mm-hmm. I can't imagine a Luftwaffe, oh, sorry, a RWF pilot would have... Uh them maybe when he was flying perhaps it was the extras uh <laughs> yeah, the extra shoes and they, they forgot to to make sure that he changed them is it griff maybe no that's not it's not it's not even someone that we know it's a okay. no Damn. i know why you're asking griff because in a few in a few weeks there's there's a scene where griff has white shoes where everyone's sitting in a room and uh griffin the the tailor is the one with white shoes but no that's not griff because this guy's blonde Oh, I can't he's, buy he's got a lighter, much lighter complexion. Also, yeah. in the novel, there's no... I don't know about the early versions of the script. It appears there were no dedicated scroungers in camp. No, there yeah. weren't. There weren't. And, I mean, th- that's one of the difficulties of, of trying to compare the movie to the novel because the, the novel has so many different characters doing little things here and there, and th- they don't come up again later and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But in, in, in the movie, in order for them to to make characters recognizable. So they needed to give us, uh, you know, a set of, uh, you know, as the, the heist, the, the heist team, you know? Yeah. And so, so that's why they, they, these are all characters. None of these characters are, are based on the real people besides uh, Roger. Most of the others are of numerous characters, especially the Americans who weren't there at the time <laughs> during the escape. Right. I mean, you have Wally Flood who, who was the, the technical advisor on the movie, who he was one of the Tunnel Kings. He was moved out unexplained. They, they didn't really explain why. The Germans didn't explain why. But around three weeks before the escape, they, they moved him and I think about 15 others out of the camp. So he was, he was like a saved from that perspective. You know, the, what were the odds that he would have actually made it out? But so right. he was the technical advisor in, in the movie, trying to give them as much real-life basis for everything that was going on. And as well, wasn't he? I don't Maybe. recall right now. It's possible. 
It's possible. Sorry, he, as a, he's as great, a com- he was great in there. <laughs> right, North American. As a Commonwealth, a Commonwealth citizen, I've got to stick up for the uh, how they downplayed a lot of the Commonwealth um, roles here. Also from former, you know, India, Indian colonies and Sierra Leone and other places as well, as well as Canadians and Aussies and Kiwis involved. And the, Rod- and Rhodesians, the, 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 yes. the, the book. The book deals with. I mean, even Ives is is based on someone who who was a New Zealander. His name was Piglet. Oh yes, I think that relates to one of the future minutes. <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh, well, you know, the, the, it's all connected, as they say. You know, we're going to get around to that. So the, the conversation is very interesting, though, because you have Werner acting as uh, serious as possible, and you have Henley more or less making fun of him with everything that he says. You know, he goes, uh, what are you doing? I'm stealing tools. Oh, stealing tools? Cooler. You know, it's like, <laughs> and then just from that accent, he's like, oh, you're an American? Which which is pretty funny to hear. That I, the, the movie tries to make light of a lot of things that, you know, to, to keep things not as heavy as, as you would expect from this type of story, based on the fact that most of them don't make that as... Uh, as spoiler alert for anyone who still hasn't seen the movie, but to, just to throw this in, I mean, this is another example that you know the the, the screenwriters and and you know that the, they wanted to to make everyone believe that this is a completely American made movie, mm. you know, which is which is why, as you said, they downplay a lot of the the Commonwealth characters because most people, most Americans who who the, the, who were the target audience for for this film at the beginning don't care, uh, don't care. They would just be saying, okay, <laughs> I only want to see. You know, I just want to see American characters. Why do you think they they put you know, uh, two uh, two out of three of the Americans in in the movie are are very prominent characters it's in order to, to to placate to the American uh, audience for better or for worse. I mean that's that's the way it is. Whether whether it's based on you know obviously we know it's not based on truth, but the idea to have a German you know soldier say, oh you're an American, wow, I'm so happy to be an American, and <laughs> and then to try to add in a little bit of propaganda there and say, oh. Why would you fight for England? Aren't they your enemy? Like, <laughs> hello, when was the last time they were in, uh, the U.S. and Britain were enemies? 140 years earlier? Oh, no, 30 years earlier. About 100 years right. earlier. No. No. I mean... No, the War of 1812, which is... Well, right, but ending we'll the war... Tomorrow. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about yeah. that tomorrow. <laughs> Do you, either of you have anything for this minute? I had a few things. One, first of all, you might have discussed um, earlier on in pre-production, they were thinking about getting Burt Lancaster instead of James Garner for Henley, which I think would have been miscast. I love Garner uh, in this movie. Completely miscast. Yeah. yeah. Although probably another great chin. They both have great chins. <laughs> yeah, but chins no. don't make, uh, <laughs> make no. a better scrounger. <laughs> No, I mean, this, this movie, the, the casting is great. There's no question about that, especially given the fact that there's so many characters who we've heard uh, were supposed to be cast with someone else and, you know, didn't didn't work out. Do, do you remember who uh, Attenborough was supposed to be played? Uh, sorry, who Roger was supposed to originally be cast as? It's a few people, isn't it? I can't remember. Kurt Doug- well, Kurt Douglas is gonna, maybe going to be Hiltz for a while. Attenborough, Bushel, I don't know. Bartlett, not sure. Tell me, tell us. Great. Richard Harris. Oh, okay. Which he, he would have been, been good. He would have been good, mm. but not as good as Attenborough. <laughs> wasn't quite a name in 63 or 2, was he? But he, he I, I can see that. Yeah, that's true. Right, what else did you want to uh, point out for this minute? Um... I always like to see international, oh, sorry, international titles that are not specifically this minute. It was pretty much the great escape all over the world. Um, but I noticed in Brazil it's called Escape from Hell. Hmm. Um, <laughs> in Germany itself, it's Gespringte Ketten, which means broken chains. Or I suppose you can't really translate it into English, but, you know, chains that have been 
broken freedom. Um, Taiwan, it was called Third Concentration Camp. That makes sense. Okay, which makes sense because it is Taiwan 3. And um, I know in Israel it's called Habrecha Godola or something. Do you guys? Habrecha Godola. It means the the great escape. Habrecha is escape, and Godola is big or great. So, yeah. Nice try, though. <laughs> so, but, yeah, everyone. Let, let's put it this way. In Israel, there's a, there's a lot of movies where the translations of, of the, the titles are completely off. So, um, like even Die Hard is, is known as Met Lichiot, which means dying to live. <laughs> nice. That's... My favorite one, though, is, is Aliens. Or Alien. It's it's Hanosea Shmini, the eighth pender. Oh. So, yeah. Always fun to, to, to see uh, foreign titles. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes. Always. Well, if no one else has anything for this minute, John, do you want to let people know where they can find you? Everyone, please, I'm from Dirty Harry Minute. We review every minute of, well, we reviewed every minute of Dirty Harry, the 1971 classic starring Clint Eastwood. So go to dirtyharryminute.com, finish with the minutes by minute segment of the podcast, but we do ad hoc episodes every now and then. So, yeah, just dirtyharryminute.com, guys. All right, and while you're checking out that podcast, make sure you subscribe to ours and give us a rating. If you want to get in touch with us, our email address is thegreatminute at gmail.com. You can join our Facebook group, The Cooler. You can check out our website, thegreatescapeminute.com. Follow us on Twitter at greatescapemxm. Tally-ho. Tally-ho. Tally-ho.